want us just to pray together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I want you to lift your voice. I want you to pray with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Whatever's gone on this week, whatever's happened this week, Lord, we thank you, Father, that we lay those things. We lay them at your feet. Lord, we look to you. We look to the hills for where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our sovereign helper, Lord. Jesus, you are familiar. You're acquainted with every challenge, every need, Lord, that's represented this morning. Lord, we bring them. We lay them at your feet, Lord. We say, Father, we thank you for your provision. Thank you, Lord, for your healing. Lord, thank you for your comfort, for your joy, for your peace, for wisdom, for direction. Lord, this morning as we worship, Lord, you say that we're to come boldly before the throne of grace. So, Lord, we're coming boldly before your throne this morning, saying, change us. Lord, change me. Change my life. Lord, let your word, Lord, continue to transform me from glory to glory, from one place to the next, Jesus. Change our church, Lord, from one degree of glory to the next. Change us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Make us new today, Lord. Refreshing. Lord, I thank you for refreshing and renewal for your people today. Lord, your word is like rivers, rivers of refreshing. Your word is like waters streaming forth, Lord, breaking in over my soul. Lord, your word is like rivers breaking in over my life, bringing renewal bringing refreshing, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And everybody said, amen. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're looking pretty good today. You better tell your spouse that. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning, braving the elements I know that there are those who couldn't be with us this morning because of the snow and such, but thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. We're glad that you're joining us, whether you're in the building or online. We'd rather have you in the building. Um, just, just in case you were wondering, we'd, we'd rather see your, your smiling face and not a Facebook photo, but we're glad that you're tuning in. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 16. I want to continue our series that we've been in, Kingdom Living and taking a look at, at the kingdom life and the life of the church. The title of today's message is A Victorious Church. How many of you know God has not called us to be a wimpy church, but a victorious church? I said it a couple of weeks ago, and somebody commented about it, and so I'll just reflect on it in the moment. They, I said something on TV, and they, that God's not coming back for a church weaker than the church than he left. And so he's looking for a victorious church, an overcoming church. How many of you have your Bibles? Let me see. Turn to Matthew 16. This one, I love it. Good for you. Get your pens ready, your devices ready, whatever you use to take notes. I'm going to throw a lot at you this morning. We're going to dig, dig into this a kingdom living, a victorious church. If you're taking notes this morning, by the way, before I do that, let me reflect. Last week we talked about meeting your adversary with some of you remember, when you go out to the battle lines, you're going to be like David running out with? Oh, come on, you all got to do better than that. Come on. Some of you need to prophesy over yourself this morning as you say this. I'm running to the battle lines with joy. There we go. Amen. I'm not backing down. I'm running out with shouts of joy. Why? Because I know that God delights, what does it say? In the prosperity of his people. 
in the divine order. God delights in the divine order, the prosperity, the blessing, the shalom of his people. Amen. If you're going to live a kingdom life, if you're taking notes, write this down. A kingdom life requires understanding and functioning within God's expression of his kingdom in the earth. If you're going to live in a kingdom life, if you're going to live a kingdom God kind of life, maybe they'll put my notes up on the screen for you. There you go. A kingdom life requires understanding and functioning within God's expression of his kingdom in the earth. What is his expression of his kingdom in the earth? It's the church. So if you're going to live an overcoming life, a kingdom life, a God kind of life, it's going to require that you understand and function within his church, local church and the global church, his church. This is, uh, we're not just talking about us gathering here on Sunday mornings. This is part of it. The local church is, is part of his expression, but the global church, understanding what it means to be part of his church. And to do that, you have to understand the church's purpose and its role. Within, and you have to understand your purpose and your role within the church. You have to understand that the church is more than just a place that you go on Sundays. Coming to church is more than just a place that you go and you check in on Sundays and said, I, I did my thing. It's more than a building. The church is actually not a building. We just happen to meet in this building. But the church is not just a building. It's not just a place we go. It's not even just a body. It's more than a body. It is a body, but it's more than that. Jesus, uh, excuse me, Paul used the example of the body in, in Corinthians that we're a body being fit together. But his church is more than that. The body, we are the called out, the ecclesia of the church. We are the called out ones. Do you know that the church is eternal? That what you're doing today is not just coming in on a Sunday morning, attending a church service, but you're part of the eternal church. That what we do is going to happen for eternity. You being called out and meeting together in the fellowship of God. This is for eternity. Amen. This, you're a part of the eternal church and the household of God. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. Somebody needs to shout this morning. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the household of God. In Ephesians 5.25, it tells us that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loved the church. That's why when people talk bad about the church or judge the church or even Christians, you know, we're great at talking about how horrible church people are. We're great at talking about how hor our horrible experiences of the church. Do you know that Christ loved those people you're talking about? <laughs> So much so that he gave himself for, he died for that church. He died for, yeah, I know they, they hurt you, but Christ died for them. Yeah. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church. Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, the book of Revelation gives us a picture of the church as the bride of Christ. 
And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a bride come into her wedding day with dirt all over her gown. She's made herself ready. She's gotten herself ready. She's done her hair. She's done her makeup. She's got, I mean, hours, sometimes days of work go into preparing for that big day, you know? And the bride has made herself ready. We are the church, the bride of Christ. And Christ has given himself for you and I that we might be victorious. We might be gloriously arrayed with his splendor. That's good news. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching better than you're shouting today. God has given himself to you and I that we might be fully arrayed with his glory and his splendor without spot or blemish. There's no room for tarnish on the body of Christ today, on that bride of Christ. He's made us ready. Amen. You, you are called, you and I are called to live corporately and individually overcoming lives. If you're part of the church, and you're here this morning, so that means you're part of the church, whether you like it or not. You're part of the church. You're part of this church. You're planted in this house. And that means that God has called you to live a victorious life. He's called you to live individually victoriously, and he's called our church to live victoriously. He's called us to overcome. He's called us to conquer. Sometimes that means you've got to face hard things. We talked about it last week. David had to run out to the battle lines. He had to face Goliath. He had to face his giant. Sometimes you have to face an adversary, even as the bride of Christ. But know this, that in your facing difficult situations, God says, I have given myself to you. I've given everything that you need, every bit of power, every bit of victory, everything that you need has been given to you for your success when you face that battle, when you face your adversary in this life, you know, we're just, the Bible says that we're pilgrims, we're strangers in a foreign land. It talks about how we're just passing through. This isn't our home. You know, and in this life, in this journey, we will have trouble. Jesus said that you're going to have trouble. That's what he said in John. He said, you're going to have trouble when you go through this life. But know this, I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome it, then that means that you and I, join heirs with Christ, are overcomers. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I'm going to give you some important information, keys about the church. Write these down. It'll help you. You can go back and study them. Of course, all of our study guides are available on our website. You can go and, and check those out. But the church, number one, the church is called out to be called together. The word ecclesia means you're called out of something. You're called out of this world. You're called out of being a stranger or a foreigner. The Bible uses the term that you're a stranger and a foreigner in this land. You're called out of this world to be called together. The word that we use to describe the community of Christ or our fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek. It's we're called together. It's a partnership. It's the same word that used to describe a marriage. It's a partnership union that we are called together in fellowship. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The church is not a New Testament idea. This goes all the way back to the New Testament with Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 10. God said to Moses, gather the people to me. Gather them together. Call them out together to me. And I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. And they may teach their children. 
That's a great verse for children's ministry, by the way. <laughs> we need to teach our children, and adults, parents need to teach their children too. Gather the people together. In Ephesians 2.19, we're told, Paul tells us we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we're called out to be joined together, to be called together. Number two, the primary purpose of the church. Our primary function, our primary purpose is worship. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, it says that we are trusted in Christ to the praise of his glory. We are called out, called together to worship. Ephesians tells us that we are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the life of the church, learning to worship together. Uh, you know, this is an interesting verse, Ephesians 5.18, that we're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns. Uh, I don't know when the last time you sang over somebody was, uh, you know, but that's, that is the flow of our love and our worship to God, that as we worship him, we worship and sing and declare the truth of God over one another. Songs and hymns declaring truth over one another. It's not, by the way, that's not a, a, a note to a style of worship. You know, a lot of people misquote that verse and, and say it that the, the Lord's trying to say something about styles of worship. It's a spiritual song. If you're going to talk about styles, how, when's the last time you sang a spiritual song, a spontaneous singing out? You know, this isn't about styles. It's about the flow of worship out of our heart, that it manifests in various ways in hymns, psalms, songs, spiritual songs, prophetic songs, new songs. The, uh, David called them new songs in, in the book of Psalms. So it's our primary purpose is to worship. Number three, the church is called to make disciples. Yeah. Our primary function is to worship, but our purpose is to make disciples. Evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Yeah. The joy of knowing Christ is not private. There are people around us that need to know the joy and the hope to which you've been called. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples. Psalms 96 says, declare his glory among the nations. Why are we declaring? It's praise. It's worship. As we declare his glory, as we tell others of his goodness, it's worship to God. Isaiah 12, 4 says, to make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim his name and be exalted. Number four, the church is to nurture and to edify one another. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. <laughs> We're called to worship God, make disciples, worship God together, make disciples outward, and edify one another internally. That word edify is to build up. The Bible uses the word, the Greek, is to build a structure. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man mature unto Jesus Christ. The objective here of building up, of edifying one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Stir up love and good works. Consider. To, that word consider is to study one another and how to stir up good works and love. That's interesting. We are to study one another. We are to know one another to such a level 
that we know how to stir or to spur one another on to love and to good works. That's why, you know, let me just pause here and just be very practical. So you say, Pastor, you know, I feel called to, you know, I have a stirring in my heart to help people. And we sit down and figure out what gifts God's given you. And we figure out what God's calling you to do. Come on, somebody. That's, that's why we sit down and have those conversations. What's God speaking to you? What's God stirring in you so that we can figure out how to stir you on? Do you do, and we do that with one another. It's just not your pastors doing that. We're called to do that with one another. What's God speaking to you? That's, that's the power of small groups. That's the power of koinonia, fellowship, meeting together and saying, hey, what's God stirring in your heart? What's God speaking to you today? And stirring one another on to good works and to love. I'll add to that thought here just for a moment to stir love and good works, that you are not on an island by yourself. Being a part of a church doesn't mean that you get to seclude yourself and isolate yourself. Being part of a church means that you are part of a body. We're in this together. We do life together. Amen. Not forsaking, Hebrews 10 says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much so, even so much more as you see the day approaching. So we need to meet together, assemble together, come together, fellowship together, encourage one another, stir one another on. Amen. I, I know this is, I'm preaching better than you're, you're shouting this morning. It's challenging to hear. It's challenging to hear sometimes as a reminder of what, how we ought to be functioning as the church. You, you were shouting me down when I said we're to worship together, but, but when we start talking about stirring one another on to love, listen, the, the devil is working hard enough to stop every single person in this church from advancing in what God's called them to do. There's enough people out there who will tell you, you can't, you won't, you're not good enough. There's enough lies, there's enough work of the devil out there to try to stop the plans and the purposes of God. The last thing that we need is somebody in the church working against someone else in the church. Come on, somebody. How do we stir one another on? Study, look for ways to encourage one another. I said it a couple weeks ago, but being a part of the church is not about, a, about your rights and privileges. It's about your opportunities and your responsibilities. Be, being a part of the church is not what right I have or what privilege I have, but it's about the opportunity that I have. I have an opportunity to serve. I have an opportunity to give. I have an opportunity to win souls. I have an opportunity. Look what God has given me. I didn't deserve anything. While I was still an enemy of Christ, he died for me. He gave himself for me. I had nothing. I have no reason, no rights in my own. What I do have comes from him, and he's given me the, the opportunity and the responsibility. I don't approach things uh, with what I, well, what can I get out of this? They're an opportunity for me to give. They're an opportunity for me to sow. There's an opportunity for me to serve. And I know that when I do that, that the Lord returns and, and rewards. Yeah. Number five, God gives the church leadership 
with the purpose of developing mature and engaged believers. I'll say that again. God gives the church leadership with the purpose of developing mature and engaged believers. This is what Ephesians 4 says. I read it earlier in in Jen's commissioning, but he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the fivefold ministry to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who gave? God gave. That's not a trick question. And who gave? It says he gave. God gave. God calls pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. He calls them and anoints them and equips them for ministry and gives them to his church. You know, it's, it's quite the trick. God's tricky. He'll, he, all of those who called to pastor, he'll, you know, it's the most exciting thing in the world. God called me to pastor. And then he says, and now I'm going to give you to the people who are going to devour you and eat your lunch. You're going to serve them with joy and gladness. And you're, you're, you're going to equip them for ministry they don't want to do. <laughs> you're going to help them mature. Have, you, have anybody had kids and, and ever had to teach your kids how to mature, right, as a parent? You're teaching your children how to mature. Whoever, whoever said that you had to teach your children how to wipe their tushies? But let, guess what? We're helping Jonathan learn how to take care of his business. I didn't sign up for that when I said I want to be a parent. I didn't sign a contract saying I'm going to wipe my kid's tushy. It wasn't there. And when God called me to ministry, he never said I was going to... But you're helping people become mature in their faith. <laughs> I'm going to laugh about that all day. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Jesus. So that to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's my, this is my goal for you, that you are not tossed by everything that happens in life. I want you to be mature in your faith. I want you to be unified in your faith. I want you to know him. Like Paul wrote, I want you to know the depth, the height, the breadth of his love. To know him by experience. And he goes on saying, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. You are to grow into him, the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, listen, this is really powerful, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Makes the body grow. How do we grow as a church? Jesus gives us a clear answer right here. How do we grow as a body? Every part has to be functioning, healthy, in the way that it was called. If you're, if you're a hand and you're trying to do the foot's job, you're not going to be healthy. 
something's going to be off. The body can't walk. If you're supposed to, if you're supposed to be a foot and you're operating as a hand, you, things are going to be off. You have to know what God's gifted and called you to and function. Don't get jealous of someone else's gift. You're just as important as the hand. If you're the foot, you're just as important as the hand. You keep us moving. You keep things going. Hopefully you're not smelly. You just keep things moving in the right direction. So don't be envious of another's call or gift. Your gift and call and commission is not going to look like mine. You know, we talk about this with our pastoral team. Their, their function, their responsibility, our pastors, our staff, their, their function and responsibility to the church is different than my function and responsibility to the church. And it's going to look different. And it's intended to look different. You were made to look different. You're a peculiar people. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. So that's the church. You go to Matthew 16, the context of the church. And I want to read from, from Matthew 16, verse 13. It said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? What are people talking about? What are you hearing? Tell me what you hear. In verse 14, it says, So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In verse 15, Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? Now that you tell me what they think, what do you think of me? Who do you say I am? In verse 16, this is a great verse. Peter answered and said, You are Christ the Son of the living God. Amen. He acknowledged him, Christ. That's the Greek Christo. He's, he's the anointed one. It's the same in the Hebrew Messiah. What, what Peter was saying, you're the Messiah. You're the one that's been prophesied about for so long. You are the Messiah, the Son of David, the living God. You're the Son of the living God. He's acknowledging his divine call, that he's not just another prophet. You're the anointed one. You're not just another, another teacher, you're the anointed one. You're not just another rabbi or Jewish leader, you're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I love that verse. Blessed are you, Simon, that God would reveal, that God would even reveal this to you. This isn't something that you've learned. This isn't something that you've observed. This has been revealed. It can only come by the Spirit of God. This understanding that Christ is the Messiah, this understanding that, that Jesus is God, this, this understanding only comes to you and I by way of the Holy Spirit. It's God revealing it to us. And Jesus said in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in, uh, or whatever you bind, I'll get it right, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to take a look here at the, the overcoming church. The church is, number one, the immovable, unshaken church on the rock of Jesus Christ. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. 
There's three things here about the rock. There's the rock of our confession. He said, Peter, on this rock, on what rock? On the confession of Peter's faith. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. On your confession of faith. Upon your acknowledgement of saying you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. God builds his church on that confession. He builds his house on your confession of faith. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast our confession of faith, for he who is promised is faithful. We hold fast our confession that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. We've been talking about faith and the power of living a life of faith. A kingdom life is a life of faith. The life cycle of faith. What is the? We've, we've talked about this. I want to highlight it. The life cycle of our faith. One, it's received by the Word of God. Faith is received by hearing the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the message concerning Christ. So faith is deposited in our life by the Word of God. That's why it's so important to stay saturated in God's Word. In a moment, you could be reading the Logos word, the, the, the written word of God, and it becomes, in a moment, the rhema word, the word for right now, God illuminating by faith his word in your heart. So there's the word of God deposits faith. Secondly, there's belief. When faith comes, we have the opportunity to doubt or believe. We can be tossed by the waves, James says, of doubt into unbelief, or we can believe. That belief is an act of taking what faith has illuminated. Faith has made real spiritual mysteries in our heart, and we, by faith, entrust those things to God. It's an act of taking. It's a worldview. It's the perspective of faith. Belief is the worldview of faith. It's taking and transferring what we see by spiritual eyes and trusting it to God. That's why Paul said in Timothy that I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able. I am confident. I am steadfast. It's like driving a nail into, into a board and, and bending the other side of it. You can't remove. It's that steadfastness of faith, of assurance, of conviction of reality. And then we confess, number three. So we're talking about confession, the power of our confession. We see through the eyes of faith. We believe in our hearts. We trust a God. And out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. Paul told us in Corinthians that I believe, therefore I speak. So our faith, world around us, faith is our spiritual perception of unseen realities. Faith is the tangible reality. It's, it's like our five senses. It enables us to see the unseen. And when we see the unseen, we believe it in our hearts and have this conviction and assurance of who God says he is and what he has said about our lives. And it causes us to speak, to confess. 
the reality. What? I have seen him for myself. Oh, I haven't seen Jesus with my tangible eyes. He hasn't walked into the room in a way that I've seen him with my tangible eyes. He didn't, when I got born again, I didn't see him as, as a child. I didn't actually see him in the room, but my eyes of faith saw him. My eyes of faith saw him as real. My ears of faith heard him as real. My, my tangible reality of unseen things saw the realness of Christ, which caused me to believe in my heart and speak with my mouth that he is Lord. And this is in every, this life cycle of faith isn't just salvation, it's every area of the life of the believer. Romans tells us that the just shall live by faith. It's behavior. What we say becomes our behavior. The just shall live by faith. So I have eyes of faith causes me to believe in my heart. My spiritual reality is awakened. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. Isn't that what Paul told us in Romans? That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall what? There you go. We can all go home. You all got the message. This is just, it's that simple. It's that easy. And it affects our behavior. As a man thinketh, so is he. And so it's simple. The, the behaviors of our lives are aligned to what we believe and what we say. If all you say of your life is hopelessness and despair, don't be shocked when you wake up in the morning with hopelessness and despair. You're aligning your life to the very thing that you believe. And lies work. I said it Wednesday night. Lies work. Truth is powerful, but so are lies. And if you believe the lie, you can have the lie. Whatever you believe and embrace, whatever you believe in your heart and begin to speak out of your mouth, that is the life that you will live. It's not just some secular idea that's been twisted. This is the reality of the scripture. It has been twisted in the world, but this is a scriptural principle. And it is based not about in trying to name it, claim it, get rich off of God. Come on, somebody. But it's about knowing what the Bible says about your life, believing it, and speaking it, and living it. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. It's not about just coming in the church and praying a prayer. Make yourself feel good on Sunday because you went to church. But it's about... Being in his word, knowing what his word says about you, knowing what his idea of himself is about you, and speaking that, believing it, and speaking it, and living it. The reason we live in in broke, busted up, destitute places is that's where we spend our time talking. If you talk gossip, guess what you're going to reap? If you sow the seed of hurt, guess what you're going to reap? But when you live in the place of joy, when you live in the place of expectation, when you live in the place that Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. When you live there, come on somebody, that's the life that you're going to reap. 
It doesn't mean that troubles never come. Get over that. It doesn't mean that hardship never comes. Get over that. Come on, somebody. Life is going to happen. If you haven't figured it out yet, life is going to happen. But how I approach life is not according to my old carnal nature under the law of sin and death. How I approach life is according to the life of God that's in me. And the life of God that's in me says, sucker, you're going down today. You've come to me with a spear and a sword, but I've come to you in the name of the Lord. See this stone? It's going into your forehead today. And I'm going to, I didn't even come with the sword. I'm going to take your sword and I'm going to cut your head off today. I can barely lift that thing, but I'm going to cut your head off with it. That's the boldness and the tenacity that faith will inspire. So the rock of our confession, our confession doesn't change with every wave of doubt and despair. Our confession is on the rock of Jesus Christ. It's settled. It's established on the rock of Christ. 1 Peter 2.7 tells us, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. I love that. That Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient. He's the stone which the builders rejected, and he's become the chief cornerstone. He's our chief cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, and they all drank from the same spiritual drink. Talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, they all drank. And they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The third rock that's mentioned here in Matthew 16 is the rock of your life. He said, Peter, you are rock. Your name means rock, but you are rock. I am building my church on you. You know, and a lot of people take this and they mean that Christ was building his church out of the life and ministry of Peter. And of course, we know that 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 is true, that Peter became one of the, the leaders of the New Testament church. Um, the Catholic Church, of course, went on and kind of manipulated that a little further than what it needed to go. But nonetheless, God used Peter to build his church. It is what it is. God used him. But there's more to that story than just Peter. God is building his church on the rock of your life. Just as it, it was Peter was one person. But it was, a, it was a prophetic statement. Jesus is saying, looking at Peter, I'm going to build my church on your life, but you're, you're like the stand-in. You're the, you're the stand-in in the moment. I'm speaking to you, but I'm speaking about everyone else. I am building my church on you. First Peter tells us that you are a living stone that God is building up into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. And through the meditations of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Ephesians tells us that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you, everybody say me. Me. I am being built together for the dwelling place of God. You are a living stone. God is piece by piece building his church. We're the immovable, unshaking church built on the rock. And number two, we're the victorious church. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. Isn't it good to know that built on the rock of Christ, nothing can stop us? Well, that was weak. 
I said built on the rock of Christ. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop us. There's nothing. The, the enemy's tried for hundreds of years to stop the church from advancing. I've got news for you. Nothing is going to stop the church, God's church, from advancing. This, it, it's because it's, this, this church, it's eternal. You can't stop something that is destined to be eternal. It's the, this church, it's the, you can destroy the building, you can kill the people, but the church is eternal. I love some of the stories that have come out of China about the church. Of course, you know, many of you know I've been there many times. One of the things, and this is going back many years, but there was a time where they would kill the Christians, and there were Christians going around raising the, up the dead Christians from the dead, and they, the, the government was seeing the dead Christians walking around. They thought they had killed them, recorded history, and they got mad about it, so they started chopping up the dead Christians after they would kill them so they couldn't raise them back to life. Talk about a church that's unstoppable, that will say, doesn't matter what you do to us, we're still advancing. You can try to stop us, but you can't. Revelation 12, 11 says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You have victory over the enemy. You have victory over the lies by the what? The blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Have you been cleansed in his blood? Has his, has his sacrifice that he made for you and I been applied to your life? You have victory. Tell somebody about it. Again, I have believed, therefore I speak. I, I speak the things that I believe. And I believe that I'm washed. I believe that I've been cleansed. I believe that I've been born again. Yeah. Romans 8, 37 says, in all these things, we are more. Everybody say more. 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 Say it again. More. more. There you go. Than conquerors. You are more than a conqueror. You're more than victorious. You're more than an overcomer. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you're more than over? When you face life, do you believe going into that? I'm more than an overcomer in my marriage. Come on, somebody. I'm more than an overcomer in this relationship. I'm more than an overcomer in my finances. I'm more than an overcomer in my job, in my situation. I'm more than an overcomer in spiritual matters. I am more. God has made me to be more than an overcomer. I have been guaranteed victory and more than victory. I'm not only going to, going back to Goliath, I'm not only going to take your head off, I, I, not, I'm not only going to kill you, I'm going to take your head off. Not only am I going to take your head off, I'm going to kill all the Philistines that have come out with you. And not only am I going to kill all the Philistines that have come out with you, I'm going to take your bloody head and take it back to the Jerusalem and I'm going to show everybody what God did for us today. <laughs> Dripping blood and all. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> That's more than victorious. Yeah, the, the, the Bible's pretty gory. We, I, I, God is not looking for a, a, a bunch of weak believers. I'm just going to pause for a moment. He's not looking for a bunch of weak, meek believers who, who hide out in some corner 
terrified of the days in which we live. Come on now, don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. He's looking for some bold, courageous believers who know whom they have believed, who are not only by faith seeing it or believing in their heart, are saying it, and are ready and willing to take the head off their enemy at any given notice if they need to. You want to mess with my family? Let me show you what we're going to do with you. Devil, you want to mess? I'm not talking about going out and hurting people. I'm talking about spiritual realities. I know you may want to hurt some people. But let me, let me assure you, God's vengeance is better than anything that you and I can take. I can tell you story after story after story. I can assure you, God takes care of his own. But as for me and spiritual realities, I am not backing down. Let me, let me just show you something about the power of agreement in the church. There's, I, I wanna, God's guaranteed us victory more than conquerors. I want you to keep this idea that we're more than a conqueror. God has assured us of victory. Right? In Deuteronomy 32, it says that one can put 1,000 a flight and two, what, 10,000. Power of agreement. Watch what happens. One can put 1,000 to 10,000. In Leviticus 26, it says five shall chase 100. And 110,000, the power of agreement. We're guaranteed in Christ, you and I are guaranteed victory. Amen. Somebody needs to shout. We're guaranteed victory. I guarantee. And when we agree, it's accelerated. This isn't just an Old Testament principle. In Matthew, Jesus said, I tell you, if two, everybody say two. two. If two of you agree on anything, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Power of agreement. Psalms 133 tells us that how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in agreement. For there, what? Verse 7 says, the Lord commanded the blessing. When you and I get together in agreement, the power of agreement. What is God saying? What is God releasing? What has he spoken? What do you see by faith out there, Carl? What do you see by faith out there, Thelma? What do you see? What's God showing you through the eyes, the perception of faith? And we believe it in our hearts, and we speak it by our mouth. And then what happens? When we link up, not only has God guaranteed me victory, I see it in the natural, but when I link up in agreement with someone else, it accelerates and multiplies. That's powerful. That's powerful. This is a biblical principle. We try to press through, do it all on our own, try to get victory on our own. But what happens when we begin to link up with our brothers and sisters? God says, I guarantee it's going to get done. To the degree, you go back to the Tower of Babel, that's a great example. That God said nothing would be impossible for them. Not because they were skilled craftsmen. Not because they had some great talent. But God said, because they are in one mind, nothing will be impossible for them. If you want to see the church advance and victory accelerate, here's a key. We got to link arms together. We can't do it on our own. How do I know? Let me give you just one example. We just talked about it this morning. And I hate to repeat, but for the sake of understanding an example, 
Last year, we went from serving 100, maybe, families a month with groceries to we know of 17,000. I don't think you heard me. We went, we, we went from 100 to 17,000. How did that happen? Not because of some great talent or skill or ability. I am not a professional grocer <laughs> or grocery distributor. Pat does not have past training in how to be a grocery shopper, other than her family, <laughs> on the wholesale level, right? We're, we're not some skilled, talented bunch of people that know how to distribute food. But what happened? We came together in agreement. And victory had already been guaranteed. We were going to serve our community one way or another. Whether, whether we had 40 volunteers or it was Heather and I out serving the community, we were going to serve the community. Right? Victory. We're guaranteed. We were going to see victory. But... We came together in agreement, and it was accelerated. The victory, did you hear me? Victory was accelerated and multiplied. Number three, the church is to walk in divine authority. The church is to walk in divine authority and enforce the victory and the freedom that Christ paid for. Freedom was purchased at Calvary. Victory was declared at the empty tomb. The perpetuation of what God's paid for happens this way. It's through his anointing and our daily dominion. God has called you to take authority, take dominion in this life. Let me give you an example. When you get born again, you, the reality of, I, I am, I'm born again, I'm a believer, and it's exciting, it's awesome. Like the reality of who God is, your, your new creation, then you start learning, not only am I born again, I'm on my way to heaven, shouting glory, woo, but now I'm a new creation, and you learn what it means. Uh, he's making all things new. I don't have to keep living that same way. I don't, and you go from that level of, I'm a new creation, to what? I'm a son or daughter. I've been adopted. Wow! Not only am I a new creation, but he's made me his son or daughter. He's adopted me. He's changed me. Is anybody following me this morning? It's, it's one degree of glory to the next. God wants you to get from I'm just born again to I am operating as a king and a priest unto God. I, I, he's, he's trying to get you from I am, I, I'm recognizing God walking with me in the garden to Adam and Eve, I want you to take dominion over the earth. Do you see that? You see what I'm saying? God's trying to get you from just that initial phase of salvation, that initial, it's awesome, it's wonderful, and, and we need that, we have to have that. But there's so much more. There's so much more. He's trying to get you from there to the place of I'm a king and priest unto God. And when you recognize that, you recognize that you've been given authority in Christ. Jesus said to Peter that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He's talking about spiritual authority. The, the keys, when, when you bind and loose, he's talking about keys. Keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing. When you when you Use a key. What do you use a key for? You use a key to open a door. 
So I'm just helping you, just baby stepping this. When you, when, when you want to open a door, it's locked. You put the key in the lock and, you know, you turn and you open the door, right? Mama always told me growing up, and now I'm telling my kids, don't leave the door open. Why? Because you let the flies in. <laughs> Summertime, you don't leave the door open because the flies. In, in the south, in New Orleans, we definitely didn't leave the doors open. It was hot, but more than hot, we had mosquitoes that would carry a grown man off. I mean, those things would just fly in. The next thing you know, dad be gone or kids would be gone. They'd disappear. Where'd they go? Mosquitoes carried them out to the bayou. Sorry. You got to watch for the gators because they'll eat them. They'll just, I think the, the mosquitoes and the gators have a pact. You get them, we'll eat them. So you, you don't leave the door open because what you leave the door open to will come in. You see what I'm saying? So you have authority to open the door or shut the door. What you open the door to will come in, whether you like it or not. What are you opening the door to in your life? Maybe there's some doors you need to close. Come on now. <laughs> Maybe there's some doors that done, did need to be closed a long time ago. You got a swarm, Beelzebub is flying around in your house, and you wondered how he got in. You left the door open. <laughs> You let the door open. you got to open the door to Christ. The devil, the, Bi the Bible says the devil is crouching at your door. He's waiting for you to open that thing so he can get in and wreak havoc in your home. But understand this, you've been given authority. You've been given authority to open the door, not to the devil, not to the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. You've been given authority to open the door to all of God's blessing, all of God's anointing, His favor, His goodness. Come on, somebody. So what door are you opening? You know, I'll never forget somebody called us one time and said, Hey, can you come, can you come cast the devils out of our house? And, you know, there's, there's things going on, whatever. Can you, can you come deal with this? And we said, sure, you know, we'll come over. And we walked in the house, and the first thing you see in the house is an absolute wreck of a house. Toys all over, dishes full of sink, uh, sink all full of dishes. There you go, something. Yeah, that's how you know that the, that's how you know the devil's really, you got, a, you got dishes full of sink. See, that's when you really know things are messed up. <laughs> That's you know it's really bad then. <laughs> it was a mess. And and we said, you know, we can cast this devil out, but until you learn to take authority over your home, it's just gonna come back and be worse. You need to take you if you can't get authority over you over your sink, you certainly aren't gonna get authority over the devil. You, if you don't know how to, if you don't, come on somebody, if you don't know how to walk in authority over them dishes, you certainly aren't going to know how to walk in authority over the devil. Now it just goes beyond doing your dishes, but you know what I'm saying. You got to take authority. You have authority to preach the gospel. Jesus gave you authority. He said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. You've been given authority. You've been author given authority against the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. No weapon that's formed against you. You know, when I, 
everybody gets freaked out about, I'm just, I, I'm not one to talk about the, I don't want to keep going on about the devil, but, you know, people, they're demon-possessed, you know, people get freaked out about that, or the house, or this, that, or the other. I, it doesn't, devils don't bother me. I, they don't bother me. They're defeated. I, you know, I, I, you know, I'll, just, I'll tell you another story. It's just funny. It's funny. I, I would, we had a, we had a woman. I'm trying to find somebody similar to their size. Yeah, Jennifer. Jennifer, stand up so they can just see your size. That's Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Everybody say hi, Jennifer. You can sit. Thank you. There was a, we had a woman. It wasn't her, but someone her size in a service. I was going through praying for people, and, and a woman her size started devil. She was demon-possessed, started manifesting a devil. It was, it was bad. Someone, her size was throwing five grown men. I'm talking grown men, some of them strong men, throwing them off of her. And, ten, you know, and everybody's like, what's going on? Well, that's a devil. We'll deal with it. And so there were some people around her. And I don't, I, but, so I walk over at one point. And she couldn't see me. I was walking. It was I had come up the the back of the aisle, so there was no way she could see me. And it was just funny to watch the devils. They're so stupid. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm walking up, and, and she, there, she doesn't know. She physically cannot see me, but the her eyes rolled back in her head to try to see me, black as can be, rolling back in her back of her head to try to see me. And as soon as I start walking up, I'm laughing. As soon as I saw that, I, I got the joy of the Lord. I was so tickled and drunk in Jesus at that point. I'm like, you, you thing, you ugly thing, you getting delivered today. You is coming out. And uh, I set her eyes rolled back, you know, and I'm sitting behind her. And I'm laughing. She starts laughing. The devil, the demon starts laughing at me, mocking me. And I'm like, that's, that's the last thing you want to do. That's really not a good idea. Because you're just, you're just stirring in me this desire for this woman to get set free. And, and I, I, so I looked at her in this black, cold eyes, and I said, um, I said, woman, look at me. And um, her eyes changed colors, went back to the, the, her normal color. I said, you're going to get set free today. You want to be set free? She, you know, she's doing her thing. And uh, I said, devil. Eyes change color. Leave. And she went like, you're leaving right now in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you to get out. This is not your home. Let her go. And her body just, you know, she went limp and her eyes went back. She was, she went from being out of her mind, crazy, throwing grown men off of her to absolutely in peace, sane mind. And she started telling me what I preached. In that service, I had, she, she, how God was speaking to her, but she was bound by this devil, and she got set free. Hey, devils don't bother me. You have authority over the devil. You have authority over crazy people. And I'm telling you, I don't know why you let them bother you. I have a word for somebody this morning. Don't let crazy people bother you. I have a word for you. There are crazy people in this world. There are strangers in this world. We don't know them. Don't, you don't need to talk to them. You know? Don't engage. Can I, Mama said, don't talk to the strangers. You do not need to engage the crazy people. 
Some, I know people think when God's given you authority, it means to engage every crazy thing that's out there. You do not need to engage. If God's telling you to let him, set him free, then that's another thing. But just don't let it ruffle. You have authority over that. When, when I walk in, let me just, can I, am I helping you this far? Be careful. Don't hurt yourself. Um, the, when I walk into this church, our staff and team and volunteers, everybody's doing their things. They're, they're all doing their thing. But you know, when I walk in and something's not like it's supposed to, I don't go into panic freakout mode most of the time. It depends on what it is. But generally, 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 I don't get nervous coming, oh my gosh, the world's imploding. Everybody's lost their ever loving mind and they can't work, get their job. Oh my goodness. Why? Because I'm an authority. I might, we need to have conversations. They need to learn how to do their job. We need to learn, right? We need to teach. We need to help people. But I'm not in freak-out mode when something doesn't go right. Why? Because I walk in authority. This is, right? I walk in authority. When I walk in the building, this is my house. When I walk into my house at, at my home, I, I don't freak out. I might get stressed, <laughs> but I don't start yelling at my wife, saying, oh my goodness, Heather, you're supposed to be helping me, hon, you're supposed to be helping me. She's not helping me this morning. I'll wait. You get your laugh out. There you go. I'll wait. I'm in authority. I'm not worried. You just keep going. No. I don't walk into the house and start yelling at my wife because there's dishes in the sink. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't walk in and start freak, go freak out mode yelling at everybody because things aren't the way that I think they should be. Why? Because I'm in authority. When you walk in authority, you know whose authority you walk in. You know what's yours. You know what the, the boundaries are. Am I right? So when you're, when you're going through life, you know the authority that you've been given. You don't have to worry and freak out about everything. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have some physical response or your emotions or those things aren't going to happen. But when you walk in authority, you align yourself to reality, the truth. Do you hear me? Do you see what I'm saying? So if you know that God's, called, God's given you authority to preach the gospel, come on. You don't freak out when people don't want to hear it. Because you know that you've been given the authority you have power, you have authority. Some are going to receive, some aren't. That's okay. You're still in authority. It doesn't change authority. People's response, situations, circumstances don't change the authority that you've been given. Did you hear me? Just because your ugly son wants to tell you off because you believe in, in the gospel, come on now, doesn't change the authority that you've been given. It doesn't change the authority of God's word. It doesn't change the authority and the power of the gospel. It is. Because God is. Do you hear me? So when he gives you authority to preach the gospel, preach the gospel. If he's given you authority against the devil, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. It's that simple. But if you keep opening the door to the devil, guess what's going to happen? The devil's going to come in. He's going to do what he does. If you, if you give authority, if you give place to the devil and it give place to the devil in your home, guess what's going to happen? You've abdicated your authority in God for the devils. 
If God's given you authority to preach the gospel and all you want to talk about is your hopelessness, you've abdicated your authority in God for the gospel for the horrible news of the world. You've got the gospel, the good news, or the horrible news. Whatever one you give authority to in your life, you've been given in Christ authority to proclaim, to preach, to declare the good news over your life and others. And that, that gospel power doesn't change. The authority doesn't change. You just might abdicate that authority and give place to bad news, or you can live according to the good news. Is this helping you this morning? You've been seated with God in heavenly places. Ephesians, listen to this. This is really powerful. Ephesians 2, 6, that he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You've been raised up to sit in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians 1, the chapter before, Paul says that I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power I want you to know what his exceeding great power is that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Where is Christ sitting? Right hand. How did he get there? By the power of God. Where are you seated? With Christ. How did you get there? By the power of God. What does that mean? It means that you've been raised from the dead. You're no longer living in dead places. You're no longer camping out in the cemetery. You're seated with Christ. You're no longer at the tomb of the dead man. You've been resurrected. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is working on the inside of you. We're going to have victory over this microphone at one point or another. You've been given fellowship with the Father. You're in the lineage of Christ. You have the inheritance of the saints. You have been seated with Christ. You've been given authority to operate as a child of God. Hebrews tells us that God destroyed, Jesus destroyed the the power of death. We've been liberated every day. When you're not born again, the power of death is upon you. Death from your sin is upon you. Death from this life is on you. When you're not born again, you're living in death. And the death, the reality of the death of sin is on you. But Christ broke the power of that death. For you and I who are born again, we, can, we need to operate as children of God. Children of life. Children of God's life. And then he's given us authority to minister as Christ ministered. I'm talking about the victorious church. I'm, I'm talking about this for a moment. That he's given you authority to minister as Christ ministered. I love the story. I'm going to wrap up with this. Worship team, you can come back. I love the story of, of Peter and John. Peter and John. you got to remember, Peter, same one, Matthew 16. Look this way. Same, same guy. Jesus said, on this church, on this rock, I'll build my church. Peter runs for his life when Jesus is being killed. Lies that he ever knew him. Sounds like a guy you can build a church on, right? Runs for his life. Jesus reinstates him into ministry. The day of Pentecost, he stands up and preaches. 3,000 plus get born again. On the next day, they, they're on their way. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They heal the lame man. Peter and John get arrested. They're in jail. That didn't take long. Jesus said, you're going to get persecuted? Wow, that, that worked really quick. 
Now they're in jail. The very thing Peter didn't want. The very thing that just a few days before he was running from his life from. He didn't want to go to jail for Christ's sake. It was the very thing he was trying to avoid when he cursed the slave girl out and said, I don't know who he is. Remember the story. Now he's standing up and saying, yeah, I can't help but tell you about the things that I've seen and heard. Something changed in his life. We know that. But this is what it says in Acts 4. It says that when they saw them, they were amazed at the boldness of Peter and John because they knew they were uneducated men. They knew that they were uneducated. These weren't, these weren't some Jewish scholars. These weren't the people that were going to be on your A-team. It was Peter and John. Those guys, those fishermen guys, the nobodies. Nobody would think anything of them. Notice what happened to them. They took note, though, that they had been with Jesus. Something changed on the day of Pentecost for them. It went from just following Jesus to now they had power. They had confidence. They saw the lame man and said, I don't have silver and gold. I don't got any money. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. There was a confidence. Why? Because they understood they had been given authority and power to do that very thing. So you and I have been given authority to minister as Christ ministered. When you approach someone who's sick and you say, can I pray for you? You're not approaching them with the thought, well, this might not work. I don't ever lay hands on someone with the idea that it might not work. Can I just be honest? I don't, when I lay hands on people, I go in with the expectation that they're gonna meet God in that moment. It's not my hands. But it's his. There's an anointing on my life. There's something of substance in my life. And so when they come in contact with power, something's going to happen. I, people, people have asked us, why, you know, well, why, do you, why do you have catcher? You know, why do you have the people standing behind people? I mean, if it's God, they just fall, don't they? Like, yeah, let's try it. Come here. <laughs> See how that works. Why do you do that? Because we're, we're trying to be helpful. But more than that, I know that when we lay hands on people, they're going to come in contact with something. We're not pushing people over, but I know when, the, when we lay hands, there's a transfer of power. There's an anointing. There's a transfer. Not everybody falls. Like we said before, if it's all about falling, we'd come around, line up, count to three, fall, go home. We all fell. We did our thing. It's not what it's about. But I know that there's something tangible, so we prepare for it. If it's going to snow, you better have your snow wiper thing in your car so you can clear your windshield. If you expect it's going to rain, you're going to carry your umbrella. We expect when people come to the altar that they're going to encounter God. So we have an altar ministry team ready to help us. It's real simple. So when you go, does that mean you got to have an altar catcher with you when you go lay hands on people? <laughs> out, out yonder in the world? You better sit down for this. God's going to touch you today. <laughs> Who knows? Let them fall out in the middle of a giant eagle. It might wake some people up. 
If they call the police, call us first. We'll meet you at the jail. We'll meet you there. We promise. It's the power of God. That ain't nothing biological. It's the power of God. They're just touching you. Anyway, so when you lay hands on people, expect a miracle. You know, it's Jesus. In the, when Jesus, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm sorry. When Jesus, when Jesus ministered, it didn't. It doesn't say in Scripture that he went and prayed over them. It doesn't say that he went the crowds and the multitudes that he prayed prayers over them. It says that he laid hands on them. Why? He didn't need to pray for something that had already been given to him. The power to heal the sick had already, it was already there. Now, now we're going to go into part two of sermon series. Okay. He didn't need to ask for something that had already been given. He just had to release it. There was something in him he had to release. There's something in you that you got to release. There's power. There's authority. There's anointing. You've been given authority. You've been given authority. Release it. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Is this helping you? Thank you, Jesus. I feel I feel people maturing in in the house. I over this over the past couple of weeks, well, since January, we started this sermon series January 1. Since January, I I have sensed, and I, of course I've heard the stories too, but I have sensed maturing happening in people. Like I I it's like I can see people expanding like This is more than just, thank God for salvation. Thank God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Thank God for His signs. But there's there's more to this. There's more to this. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before we go today, we're gonna we're gonna worship here in a second. But before we go, before you go anywhere, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. I want you to know before we go anywhere, we're talking about a kingdom life, and the only way Jesus said the only way to the kingdom of God is through repentance. It's through it's it's by saying, Lord, I turn from my ways. They're broke. It's sinful. And I'm going to turn to you. And I put my hope in you. I'm going to live for you. It's the only way. It's the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus' words. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter how good you are, how good of a person you are. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of salvation, is that we're all broke. (laughs) We're all under the curse of sin. That's the point. Because of Adam's sin, the Bible says, because of one man's sin, Adam's sin, we're all under that sin. Christ came to forgive us and say, you don't have to live under that curse. I've got something better. You don't have to keep living that way. I've got something better. That's the point of redemption. That's the point of salvation, is that we're all a mess. (laughs) 
We all have failures. We all have issues. And Christ comes, and the Bible says he cleanses our conscience clean. He forgives us, and he removes even the stain in your mind, the things that haunt you, the things in your closet that nobody knows about, the skeletons that haunt you. The Bible says that he even takes care of those. He can remove those. Jesus. It's real simple. There's no magic to it. There's no special anything. It's just saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I I don't know what it all looks like, but I want that. I want salvation. I need you to forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Remove the skeletons out of my life. I, I want you in my life. Forgive me of all of my sins. I believe right now by faith, I believe that you died for me and rose again. That's simple. That's simple. Jesus, change our lives. You know, if you're online or you're with us in the building this morning and you, you're praying, praying that right now in this moment, that's your heart's desire. And you're praying that, saying, Lord, I need you. I Jesus, that's what I need. I want you to tell us at some point. I want you to send us a message. If you're online, send us a message. Drop it in the comments. We want to be praying for you. We want to reach out to you, pray with you, pray for you. If you're in the building, say, that's me. I need that. I'm believing that. I'm praying that in my own life. Tell somebody. Tell one of the pastors. Tell us. Say, I believe Jesus is changing my life. Get water baptized. Number two, get water baptized. Make a public declaration. March 7th is our next scheduled water baptism. Get baptized. Say, I'm making a public statement. I'm pursuing Christ. And get in church. Be in the house of the Lord. Be in the victorious church, the overcoming church. And watch while God, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be 